There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. And Greg, last week's episode, which I listened to this morning actually, was focused on what an index is in regards to stock and bond markets. A timely episode as index investing is growing all the time. And for the last 10 years, I know growth has outperformed value, but recently value seems to be outperforming growth. And that's a topic we'll address in another segment. You bet. But today we're taking a totally different direction as we talk with, I want to call her a local celebrity. I think that's a fair statement. We'll get into who it is in a second. But Tara McCool is joining us today. And Tara McCool is going to talk to us about compassion and leadership and how those two things should come together or be together. And Tara is joining us from Calgary, where she's the founder of her own leadership consulting company. And Tara, I was on your website last night and I was reading your, I want to call it your mission statement or vision statement or goals or whatever, but it was compassion is every great leader's superpower. Compassion equals results. Leaders who get the power link between compassion and business results will have a successful and fulfilling career. That's a very profound statement. So Tara, welcome to Free Lunch. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for checking out my website. Well, listen, Tara, we both did. I'd suggest everybody have a look because it's great to walk through. But one of the things that's obvious in looking at your background is that you've had a diverse and varied career to this point. So tell us your story. How did you end up where you are today? It is a very diverse and storied career. You're right, because I've never actually been formally educated in anything that I've done for my careers. And it's interesting. I wanted to own my own Holt Renfrew. That's what I wanted to do. And then when I got into it and I was finishing up my degree in New York, and I said, I actually don't want to do this. It's a lot more paperwork and boring, monotonous detail and financials and all that that you guys all love. (laughs) I don't. And so that's when I took a turn and started doing, I did my practicum at Good Morning America. Wow. And so that's when I started in television. So I did that. I worked at MTV for a while, then came back to Calgary and ended up working for the movie show, which was expanding from one day a week to six days a week. So I wrote them. I was working at Stage West at the time and Earl's. And I just said, I'm assuming that with your expansion, you're going to need a production assistant. So I moved into that role with them and they took a chance on me and then ended up in front of the camera, which I was not expecting, did entertainment for quite a number of years and then moved into news. And then from news, went into morning television. And then from there, I completely transitioned into the corporate world and was working for Meg Energy for about 10 years. So I started off there in a communications role, and then it evolved into communications, culture, and HR. And so I ended off there as the vice president of HR and communications. And I did all of the community investment as well. 
with my team, of course, I had an amazingly supportive team because in some cases I really didn't know what the heck I was doing and I needed their support. And in some cases they taught me everything that I knew about it. So when I was at Meg, that's when I realized that I really loved working with leaders. And I'd always approached my own leadership with a lot of compassion and just the way that I saw things. And even when I was in TV, we'd have to work with people who'd be coming into the studio who'd be really nervous. And so it was all about being compassionate and helping them through those moments and helping them shine. So we did that with leaders as well. And so I transitioned and started to do it full time. And focusing on compassion and the connection between compassion and leadership. That's pretty cool that you went from Good Morning America to MTV to, of course, your long-term stay at A-Channel. And I guess you were around when it became City TV or were you part of that transformation or no? Or was that, were you already gone by then? You're okay. And then you transitioned into. No, I did the five o'clock news with A-Channel. That's when I transitioned into news and then went to Global, did the morning news there for a bit and then came back to city tv and then to go to an oil and gas company and leave there as the vice president of hr like when you were at good morning america doing your practicum would you have in your wildest dreams thought you'd be the vice president of hr of an energy company in calgary no oh my gosh back then early 20s i had no idea what i was going to do with my life I really didn't. I didn't have a whole lot of direction. I was just kind of going through saying that this is interesting. I'm going to stay here for a while. And I really thought that I would be working behind the scenes as a producer for television. That's what I thought. So no, I don't even think I knew what HR was back then. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, there's some things about Good Morning America. We could talk about HR issues. So <laughs> they came out a few years ago, but <laughs> that's yes. another story. Everything was above board while I was there. Good. (laughs) Good. So tell us, you've gone into this compassion and leadership area that you were talking about. What's the significant link between compassion and leadership in your eyes? Well, part of being a leader is really helping your team, focusing on your team. So when you have compassionate leadership, I mean, the definition of compassion is wanting to alleviate someone's suffering and someone's pain. So as a leader, if you translate that into compassionate leadership, what do you want to take out of the workplace to make your people happier and thriving? You want to take out the drama. You want to take out uncertainty to the extent that you can. You want to help them feel valued. All of those are compassionate behaviors. So we're not just talking about being kind in a traditional sense. I mean, that I would think would be table stakes. Hopefully you are kind to your people and respectful. But the compassionate piece, a lot of people mistake it for just being soft. And it really isn't. When you are a compassionate leader, you have the courage, you have the guts to get in and have tough conversations when you need to have tough conversations because it's the right thing to do for that person. I really feel like it's taking the focus off of yourself and placing it on others when you're compassionate. Are you seeing with your work with leaders, are you seeing compassion in the workplace or is this something obviously you're helping people with all the time, but where does the industry stand or where does the world stand in terms of having compassionate leaders? Well, in terms of the world, I think people are aching for it. I feel like we aren't 
as compassionate as we could be to ourselves. We're really hard on ourselves and we're hard on other people. There's a lot of judgment in the world and a lot of divisiveness. And so I do feel like there is a movement where people want to just in general, not worry about everybody else in terms of, I mean, like what they're thinking. I think that it's more focus on yourself and in terms of being happy and compassionate and not judging and really putting yourself in other people's shoes in terms of their views, everything. How are they feeling? If somebody's emotional, if somebody's not performing up to their normal standards, instead of getting upset about it, how about you just say, hey, everything okay? What's going on? You know, that's a compassionate conversation where you're not letting things slide, but you're going in and saying, listen, I've noticed that your performance has been slipping. What's happening? And then that might open up a whole conversation. But just to get back to your more general question about companies, I feel like leaders are really well-meaning. People have great intentions as leaders. They want their people to thrive. They want their people to be happy. But a lot of times people don't know what to do with emotion or suffering. And sometimes it might seem overwhelming. Like that's overwhelming for me. I don't know how to dig into that conversation. It's too much for me right now. I have too much going on. So it's helping people lean into, it's better for you to open up the conversation for both of you than it is to walk away and ignore what is happening right in front of you. That's the easy thing to do. Let me ask you a real life story or share a real life story and ask for your opinion in regards to compassion and leadership. So we had a fellow who used to work with us and we'd ask him to do things like, can you do this project? And his answer was always, yeah, I got it. I'm on it. And when you check back on it later, consistently, the work wasn't done or completed or even started in many cases. Now, the initial response, of course, is to feel some, I don't know, anger, like, why aren't you doing the work that you said you'd do? You said you got this over and over. So in your example, then the compassionate side would be to kind of understand the root cause. Maybe there's a self-esteem issue and he didn't know how to start the work and wasn't prepared to ask for help. Is that a fair sort of statement to that? Yeah, absolutely. To your point, you just don't know what's going on in his head. So maybe he's completely overwhelmed, but is a perfectionist and a people pleaser and doesn't want to disappoint you. So it tells you he can do everything, but there's just no way he can. So asking for help is really hard for people. And so as a leader, when you role model those kinds of things, you give permission to other people to do the same. So yeah, Colin, if you went in and had a meeting with him and just said, listen, you haven't done all these things. Why? What's going on? Tell me about what's going on in your world. And A lot of times that just opens up the conversation for you to help him or for you both to realize that maybe this isn't the job for him. Well, I wish you and I had had this conversation maybe two years ago. You would have helped us through (laughs) dealing with the transition out of that employee. But anyways, we won't go down that road. Greg, what do you got? for? Well, I'm just wondering, you talk about compassionate leadership and I've worked in some big companies. I spent eight years at Procter & Gamble working in a head office and there's this view or at least there was, and this is going back a few years, of course, that, well, management, they're hard-charging, hard-talking, unapproachable leaders. And there was kind of that view, I don't know whether it's madmen sort of type of approach, but how do you see 
changes in leadership, say, from here, from this point forward over the next 5, 10, or 20 years? It's a really good question. I think that people are starting to demand it. And also, from an ESG perspective, there's a big highlight on ESG in terms of investment. And I personally feel like S is going to be a highlight. I mean, the E is there, the G is there, of course, in terms of, for those who aren't aware of the ESG, it's environment, social, and governance. And the social part deals with your people. And so you know how it is. If investors are focused on it, then the boards are focused on it. If boards are focused on it, the CEO is focused on it. And it goes right down the line. So I think that there will be that pressure. But I also feel that things are shifting where that type of leadership is old. Yes, in the 80s, the 90s, even the 2000s, we did see some of that hardline leadership. It shifted. You're seeing some very high profile leaders now coming out and talking about compassion and talking about all these things that they're doing for their employees and look at their returns. Find one CEO that practices compassionate leadership and tell me that their results are not through the roof. Because when you are a compassionate leader and your people care about you, they will invest their time and their loyalty in that company. And it makes a big difference. I think that we're evolving. But in terms of us just understanding that being a better leader is going to attract the A players, I think is a big motivation. And also keep your A players. You want to attract them and you want to keep them. And that's what young people want. They're demanding good leadership and people who see value in them. So they're demanding a good culture from a company or an organization that they're part of is what I hear in that. And what we've found over the years is that the companies that we've been around or part of have always talked about culture as like a thing. This year, we're going to focus on revenue. Next year, we're going to focus on culture. And maybe you can speak to what culture is as an organization and the strength of a leadership, of a compassionate leader in directing or being part of that culture. It's massive. And a culture grows organically. Anne Rhodes, who she worked with Southwest and has sat on many boards, and she wrote an amazing book about culture. And she says in that book, you can't force culture, but leaders can create an environment where a vibrant culture can evolve and thrive. And so I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's basically what it's saying. And so when you have values up on a wall, most big companies have corporate values. How are you living those values? And are the leaders living those values? And are the actions aligned with those words? If they aren't, forget it. They mean nothing. Because if the top leaders, the CEO and the senior leadership is not acting in alignment with the values, well, nobody pays attention to them. And what good are they? And so the culture grows organically through the actions of everyone. So you can't force it, but When there's a good, strong culture, employees fight to keep it. They don't want people coming into the organization who are poisonous. It's a threat. So when you're trying to protect your culture, you need to make sure that you have all of those mitigation points in place. So identify what the risks are to evolving and sustaining your culture and make sure that you have some mitigation plans in place for that. Who are you hiring? What do your interviews look like? Do you have culture 
in with your performance reviews. And by the way, I'm not a fan of 360, like one annual performance review a year. I believe it should be daily. You tell people how they're doing every day, whether it's good or bad. Nobody should ever be surprised by a performance review. I get that performance review daily from my family. They tell me maybe this day I suck and that day I was okay. Every day I get a performance review. And that's perfect. (laughs) And me too. I just had, right before we came on, my daughter texted me and said, mom, you got to change your Instagram feed. It's messy. It doesn't look good. (laughs) And just, she's giving me the pointers and it's great, but that is truly a thriving culture. Why does she feel safe in texting me and telling me those things? Because I give her the platform to feel safe in doing that. And same with you with your family. So leaders, if they actually open it up to a place of safety where you can speak your mind and you can share your great ideas or your not so great ideas, and people feel like they have each other's backs, that's huge. But the leader really role models that. It starts from the top, but at the same time, I know that there are a lot of people out there because I get this question. There are a lot of people out there saying, well, I have a leader who doesn't care about any of that. I never get any feedback, definitely doesn't action out the values. I don't feel like he really cares about what I'm doing or she, and I just punch in and punch out, but they have a team. So they're conflicted. And I feel like you still have a responsibility. It doesn't matter if your leader is not acting the way that you know a good leader needs to act. Take responsibility and accountability and be a leader that you would like your leader to be. So I think that you can turn that ship around a little bit. And sometimes there's even managing up where when your leader sees that you're doing such a great job with your team, because you're practicing compassionate leadership and you are empathetic and your team's just knocking it out of the park and your leader goes, hmm, maybe, maybe you'll spark some awareness in there. You never know, but it's not an excuse for you to be a poor leader to your team. Right on. It reminds me of this being a leader. A little bit of it sounds like just being there, being in touch, being visible back in the 80s. In my Procter & Gamble days, the big thing was what they called MBWA, management by walking around. Just having the leaders visible as opposed to up in their offices where it was like the castle if you had to go see them. But I'm just wondering, like in this time that we're in right now, the time of covid How do leaders kind of build and maintain their compassion and trust that they want to establish with the employees when you can't physically be there and you can't walk around and check in with people? How are leaders, good leaders operating these days? Well, that's a big challenge for a lot of people because you're right. So much of it is that human interaction and just being able to pop into the office and check in on people and you can read body language and you can see what's going on. In terms of the staying connected with your people, I think that it's important for, there are a couple things. The way that you manage your meetings is really important on Zoom and in person. So you want to make sure that you've got an agenda, you stick with the agenda. And in Zoom, it's really important for you to make sure that everybody has a voice on the call. So those are things that you need to manage. And that is being compassionate. You need to look at the squares on the screen, look at the body language. And also, what are you doing when someone has a dog that barks? What are you doing when someone has a kid that's on the lap? 
do you care or do you laugh? And bring your own kid on your lap and make them feel comfortable what just happened rather than embarrassed or nervous about what the boss might be thinking. Wait a minute though. Wait a minute, Tara. Like I can't take my 17 year old son and put him on my lap because somebody else on my (laughs) team has their five-year-old son on their lap. Tell me that wouldn't break the ice though. (laughs) That's going to get some laughter, but that's just it. Colin, you obviously, you have a great sense of humor and you interject with humor a lot. That's something that you can use to your advantage. When you notice that something is awkward or people are tense or anything, you have a skill where you can break the ice with some humor. Other people might not have that same skill, but maybe they call somebody up afterwards and say, I noticed you were really quiet in that meeting. What's going on? Everything okay? And in terms of the Zoom meeting, keeping it on track, it's easy for people to dominate meetings. And two people in a meeting will be the only people talking and everybody else is like (laughs) tuned out and snoring and which that happens in real meetings too. But make sure that you are paying attention. Make sure that you are in to the screen. Your face is close to the screen. You are listening. Keep on track with everything. When somebody goes off, say, ah, let's take that. Let's you and I have that conversation later. I want to stay on track with this meeting because Oh God, I mean, enough with the Zoom meetings. And so we want to keep them as tight as possible. That is being compassionate because you're caring about your people's time. And so again, checking in and watching people's body language, really pay attention to the screen in front of you. And if somebody seems off, then check in with them beforehand. Some people also do something where they'll only schedule meetings at six minutes after the hour. So that they know people have six minutes to go take a break or stand up or do whatever. Or maybe you say, I'm going to go for a walk. Let's have a talking meeting with our headphones on while we're both walking. You walk where you are. I'll walk where I am. And let's have a meeting that way. So there are different ways that you can show compassion. But you have to really develop that relationship with your people so that you know when something's off. And maybe they'll come to you proactively or maybe they won't. Some people have a tough time accepting compassion too. Sometimes you have to be the first person to say, is everything okay? What can I do? Or just do it. Just provide the help that you think might be needed. Right now, it's, Greg, you bring up such a good point because leaders are struggling too. This has been a very hard time for leaders and for their employees. And so the self-compassion piece is incredibly important. So if a leader is on a Zoom call and figure it's all wrapping up and it's you're 10 minutes earlier than what you thought, but you say, you know what, guys, I think we've done everything we need to do today. I'm going to go and I'm going to go spend some time with my kids. And I hope that you would do the same or with your dog or spend some time in whichever way recharges your battery. And that's huge. Like that's giving permission to have compassion for yourself. So little things like that make a big difference, but more than anything, just tuning in and making sure you're aware. So a lot of times your head's down and you're just trying to get through the day and you're meeting after meeting, after meeting, after meeting. By the last meeting, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. But the person who's presenting at that meeting has put their heart and soul into this presentation and is waiting for your reaction. And you just have to be cognizant of people watch your every move when you're a leader. It's important. I like to describe when you have those days, and sorry, Greg, I'm monopolizing the questions. Go for it. Those days where you have like back to back to back to back Zoom calls and it is tiring, but 
like you say, the fifth one doesn't necessarily, you can't treat it any more differently than the first one. And I like to think of it as uh, job interviews. Like if you had five job interviews in a row, like you're going to want to be on for each one. That's exactly right. You need to be on. And so even more reason for you to take breaks, make sure that your battery is fully charged. And if it isn't, reschedule it. Just if you know that you can't be there, just reschedule it. It's okay. But some people also just do Zoom calls with no business. Let's do do a, hey, how are you? Yes, just as a social call. It's a Friday afternoon. Grab your drink of choice and let's just talk. Or let's not. Let's do a yoga class. Let's do a whatever class. I don't know. There are different things that you can think of based on. Ask your people. If your people are also craving some connection with each other, ask them. Do you guys want to do something together on Zoom or like go meet at a fire pit somewhere and six feet apart and socially distance? Or like, what do you guys want to do to stay connected? They will come up with some great ideas. It doesn't always have to be you. It shouldn't always be you. Great point. Greg, I know we don't have Tara for much longer. Do you have any other questions? Just maybe one last question to focus on. So what are some of the best examples of compassionate leadership that you've seen, maybe compared to some of the worst? Like from your experience, what really stands out? When I worked at Meg, we had a very tight workforce for especially in the beginning, because we grew very, very quickly. When someone was dealing with grief or a tragedy, the leaders wanted to do something. And sometimes they didn't really know what to do. But it was amazing because the people who worked the closest with the person going through the situation would just fly into action. And suddenly there would be a Google Docs saying, this is the schedule for food for us bringing food to this person, they would bring to their leaders different ideas of what they could do to help them and what could the company do to help them. So again, it was that organic, one of our team members is in need of help. And so we're going to do what we can to help this person. And we're going to suggest that the company step up as well. And so they would give options to the company. And so I saw that happen over and over again. I also saw when unfortunately we had to do while I was there five mass terminations and that is really hard on everyone involved at every level and when we were going through things we had conversations with teams where teams would say we are all willing to take 10% they would proactively come up to us we are all willing to take a 10% salary cut if nobody gets laid off in our group And so, again, that's them looking after each other. The compassionate behavior, companies can make it easier on themselves and on their people if they have a plan in place. So much like an ERP, an emergency response plan, where everybody knows the communications, everybody knows what happens if an emergency happens, and it's all laid out for you in a nice, neat little binder. The same can happen for compassion where if someone has a family member who passes away or that person is sick or whatever it is, and you don't want a one size fits all, there needs to be some flexibility built into this plan. But essentially, this is the communications plan. You have one point person. That one point person is going to communicate with the person going through a tough time, as well as the rest of the team and the leadership. The CEO is going to call that person 
weekly, daily, whatever they need. But the CEO is going to make sure that that person knows their job is not in jeopardy. They're going to make contact with the family. The direct leader is going to be in contact with the family at all times to make sure that they're feeling okay and supported and valued and safe. And they're going to get creative in how they can help. And so in a compassionate organization, these things just happen. And your people will come up with great suggestions on how to do it. So there's a lot that you can do, but you need to integrate compassionate behavior into every facet of your organization and every process. And they're little steps, but they make an enormous difference. Absolutely. That was a pretty good summary. I like that. Or we could just focus on revenue. (laughs) (laughs) That's important too, but that will come if you're treating your people well. Yeah, of course. You bet. I should mention too, if people are in the service industry where they've got clients, I think it's really important for leaders to empower their people to act compassionately towards their clients as well. So they don't have to come for permission if it, because one of the things that's really important with compassion is that it happens quickly, that it's put in place right away. So if you're working at a front hotel desk and a customer comes up to you and she is in tears about something, how have you empowered that front desk clerk to act in a compassionate manner to that person without having to go up the pole? permission for everything. That's huge. That makes somebody feel so great when you help other people in your company or your clients. If you can be of service of somehow, you feel so great about it. It just makes you feel fulfilled in your life and your work. In our group, we have our own set of values that we've identified and I won't name them all, but mastery, autonomy, and purpose is one that we talk about. Mastering the skill set that you have, having the autonomy to make decisions based on what you feel is necessary in working on something that's purposeful. And we've found that that is a huge driver, way more than, I don't know, more money in a paycheck. Purpose is huge for people. They want to know, like people kind of eye roll when you say vision and values. It's been overplayed in some cases. And I think that people roll their eyes because they've worked in organizations that don't take it seriously and don't live. But if everybody's working towards the same goal and vision, then how can you go wrong? It's just making sure that everybody's taking the actions to get there and that the values support it and everybody acts that way and they don't tolerate behavior that isn't in alignment with values. That's how you protect your company. Well, Greg, should we move on to our speed round? We've been sort of tossing the softballs to Tara here. Now it's time to get serious. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I like it. First one, what do you do for fun when you're not working? Oh, I like going for walks. I've kind of taken up snowshoeing, actually. Right on. And so that's fun for me. I like doing that. I also, I'm an instructor at the sweat lab to teach spin. So I do that for fun as well. Oh, good for you. That's cool. Any books you're reading right now? Are you a reader? They could be for your business or personal. Yes, I love reading. I love, love, love reading. I know that I've had a great vacation when I have a pile of books that I've read. So right now, I'm actually reading this. I just finished this book, Awakening Compassion at Work. So I'm hyper-focused, obsessed maybe, on reading all about compassionate workplaces. And it's I'm really digging into the research of it all. So I love business and leadership books. And so I go through those like crazy, both I love the paper books, but I also listen to a lot of audiobooks. Perfect. Great. 
Are you a binger at all, Netflix streaming services? Or Amazon or Apple or any of them? <laughs> Actually, I just binge watched Ted Lasso oh, on Apple. Isn't that good? Oh my gosh, that is such a great movie. And there were so many parts in there that it just became so clear about the connection to compassion and leadership. Didn't you find Colin? Oh yeah. I actually just finished it last night and well, I think I finished it anyways, but I can see how this would, would roll right into your background. Like talk about compassion leadership. Like this guy is called every name in the book being told he (laughs) sucks over and over again. And instead of getting angry, he just says, Hey, thanks for you. Thanks for letting me know. And he's going through his own turmoil, like all of it. I just loved, loved it. It's a masterclass in compassionate leadership. (laughs) There you go. Okay, I got a question for you. Pick a number between one and 10. 10. No. Okay, next question, Greg. (laughs) That was a tough one. (laughs) Other than the CM Group free lunch podcasts, what other podcasts do you listen to? Oh, I listen to a few of them. I really like Jay Shetty. I really like Ed Milet. I listen to, there's one that I don't want to get the name wrong. Jordan Harbinger has a really good leadership podcast that I listen to. And there's another one too. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I'm not prepared with all my podcasts, but those are the three top ones that I listen to. Oh, and I listen to Robin Sharma. He has a daily podcast that's only like three minutes long. And I really like that. It's quick inspiration. I like that. Oh, and I listen to a dose of leadership. Oh, and I think you mentioned that you listen to CM Group Free Lunch every Wednesday on your podcast streaming services. Isn't that the number one that you chose? Anyways. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, I would start that question with besides this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. All right, right, right. Let's just do one more and wrap it up. Go for it. You take this one. You're the animal guy. Are you a cat or a dog person? Neither or both? Dog, 100% dog. Dog, okay. Well, you're, you're talking to a couple of dog people I here. Like so. cats, but I'm a dog. Okay, awesome. good. I have an old English bulldog. Oh, wow. Okay. An old English bulldog. What do you call that? Because we have a sheepadoodle, so we have an old English sheepdog poodle cross. So an old English bulldog would be what? Aw. <sighs> yeah, shog? She's, she's Is it a like- shog? <laughs> It's it's a purebred. You can just call him a bulldog. Exactly. But she's old English, so her snout is not as smushed in. So she doesn't have the same kind of breathing issues as English bulldogs. Oh, gotcha. What kind of dog do you have? We have English cocker spaniels. So we're all staying in the English realm here, I guess. Aww. <laughs> there you go. Warms your heart, doesn't it? They're good buddies. It's been a blessing to have an animal through COVID. For sure. And the free lunch podcast is also another thing to have during COVID to listen to. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today. Every Wednesday. That's right. We really appreciate you taking the time. And let's wrap it up here. Where do people find your business, your company? Where can they find you? You can find me on taramacool.com, which is easiest to remember, but it's also thepowerofcompassion.com. There it is. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. That was very enlightening. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for the great questions and thanks for highlighting compassionate leadership. I think a lot of people are starting to trend this way. So you're ahead of the curve. We're trending. That's right. All right. We'll catch you later, Tara. Thanks, Tara. Thank you for your time and great questions. Thanks. Well, Greg, that was a fun conversation with Tara McCool. 
as I said at the beginning of our interview, really a local celebrity in the Calgary market. A lot of people here will know who she is. Oh, for sure. And certainly an interesting story when she outlines how she got to where she is today from where she started. It's fascinating. And yet probably for her, every move seemed extremely logical at the time. And so it's great. And she obviously knows what she's talking about. And our listeners might question why we're talking to somebody about leadership when we usually we talk about asset allocation, diversification, things like that. But I think for me, it's talking to somebody who would deal with leaders of companies and trying to make those companies more efficient, more well-run, which equals better-run companies. Absolutely. And she talked about the S in ESG right now. And certainly from an investing standpoint, ESG is becoming one of the major themes, as we've talked in the past, driving future company success and investing success. So exactly, highly relevant. Well, that about does it then, I guess. So till next time. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2020.